Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and welcome to the House of Friends. I was out last week, so Happy New Year to everybody, part of our church family. It's good to see you back. If you're a guest with us today, man, we're always thrilled to see you here. So uh, thanks for spending the second Sunday of the new year with us. Uh, Just one quick announcement before we dive into our new message series. Uh, We're offering a class called How to Study the Bible through Carolina College of Biblical Studies, and that class starts here uh, this month, so today is the last day to sign up for that. If you're interested in How to Study the Bible through Carolina College of Biblical Studies, please sign up online today or visit the information booth uh, on your way out, all right? So we're second Sunday of January, and uh, I don't know how you guys feel about New Year's resolutions. I always kind of talk myself out of them, and then, you know, it gets to be New Year's Eve, and I'm like, maybe I should think about, you know, some things I need to improve on. Uh, Over the years, I've had some ups and downs, so a lot of times I don't like to set myself up for failure, um, so I don't make any. But maybe some of you take that seriously. Others of you probably don't give much attention to New Year's resolutions. I was... um, reading about a young man uh, last week, actually, who had called his parents to wish them a happy new year. And his father picked up the phone. He said, Dad, happy new year. Have you made any new year's resolutions this year? And his dad said, well, son, I've only made one. My one New Year's resolution this year is to make your mother as happy as I possibly can all year long. And the, the, the son said, that's great, Dad. Man, Mom deserves it. That's awesome. Uh, could I talk to her? And so he, he handed the phone over to his wife, and um, he said to his mom, Happy New Year. Man, Happy New Year. You know, I just want to call you, wish you a Happy New Year. I'm just kind of curious. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? He said, she said, I've only made one. My one New Year's resolution is to make sure your father keeps his. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, but it is the time of year, right, that we're talking about, you know, resolutions. And so it's the second Sunday of the new year, and we're starting a brand new message series. And in the book that bears his name, Daniel, the main character in our series for the next several weeks, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he makes a resolution. Uh, so it's a, timely, it's a timely message for us today. I mean, the word, the, the actual word is used in Daniel 1, verses eight, uh, verse 8. We'll see it in just a moment, and that's where we're going to start. Today we're going to be in Daniel 1, verses 1 through 8, if you want to follow along in a Bible. Let me read it for you, and then um, we'll talk about what it means for you and I as followers of Jesus in 2023, because there is a lot of relevance to what Daniel experienced in his life and um, what you and I can encounter in ours, okay? So Daniel chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so as the book begins, we find the the southern kingdom of Israel, which was called Judah, has been under attack. And evil pagan king Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty Babylonian army are overtaking the southern kingdom 
of Judah. Um, you see what it says in verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. This is a dark time in Israel's history. They were living in disobedience to God, and God had allowed these, this foreign nation to come in and overtake them, sort of as a, a matter of divine, uh, divine discipline, really. So God, you know, he delivers his people into the hand of the enemy as a result of their disobedience. And then skip down to verse 3. Then the king, that is the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So they were, they were taking some captives from Jerusalem. And they were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. I'll say more about this in a moment, but that was the practice of the Babylonians, what, what they would do when they conquered a city or a, or a nation, uh, in the case, this case, uh, Jerusalem, Judah, uh, they took tens of thousands of Jews back to Babylonia as slaves and servants. And what we find in the next verses is that Daniel was one of them. All right, so look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food from and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now most scholars put Daniel's age, when all this happened, at about 15 or 16 years old. So he, he was pretty young. And apparently, he was voted most likely to succeed in his class, right? Because he's, he's sharp and he's, and he's good-looking. And so he's ripped from his homeland in Israel, and he is thrust into this kind of a special Babylonian training program. All right? Verse 7 says, The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, here's that word, okay? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. All right, there's that word. Daniel makes a resolution. There's going to be a number of subjects we're, we'll learn about in the coming weeks in the book of Daniel. A lot, I mean, there's just so many things in this book, and I'm really looking forward to you know, gathering around God's Word with you these Sunday mornings in 2023 as we start the year around this book. It's got prophecy. It talks about prayer. I mean, there's so many things we're going to learn from this book. But the primary theme of the book of Daniel is this. It's this concept, this idea of a godly person standing firm without compromise in an ungodly world. That's really the underlying theme of the whole book. If I were to ask you whether, you, whether or not you grew up in church or you know much about the Bible, if I were to ask most of you, you would all know two things about the book of Daniel, two events. Um, one of them 
has to do with the fiery furnace, right? And so these three guys, actually Daniel's friends, we'll see when we get there, they get thrown into the fiery furnace. Why did they get thrown into the fiery furnace? Because they refused to compromise. They would not bow down and worship a false god, and that's why. The other event in Daniel that most everybody has heard about is Daniel in the lion's den. Why did he get thrown into the lion's den? Well, the reason he got thrown into the lion's den is because he would not compromise he wanted to stand firm and represent God. He, he made this resolution, you see, that he wasn't just going to fit into the world in which God had placed him. He was going to stand out as a witness and a light to this spiritually dark world. So we're, so we're just eight verses into the first chapter, and it's Daniel's like moment of truth, right? He's got to decide already, 15 years old. And he decides, I don't want to I, I'm going to resolve not to defile myself this way. You see what happened in this training program. They put this big uh, buffet table out in front of these, you know, these teenage boys, you know, these godly Jewish kids. They put this big buffet table out in front of them there in Babylon, and, and, and it's full of all kinds of delicacies and foods that the Jews were prohibited to eat under the Old Testament law. And Daniel was committed to his faith, and he was committed to following God's word as he understood it. And so he says, no, I'd rather not. I'm not going to partake in this feast or this eating. I've, I've drawn a line in the sand. I've decided I want to serve the Lord. I'm resolving not to defile myself in this way. Can you? That's pretty impressive, right? I mean, he's a 15-year-old kid. What 15-year-old boy refuses a free buffet? I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. But Daniel is so committed to love God and serve God and be faithful to God that he makes a stand. And that, again, that really is the theme of this entire book. And I want to draw that to your attention because... I think what you're going to find as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century, even though was, this was written over 2,500 years ago, as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century, as we look at Daniel and how he is this godly man trying to make a stand in an ungodly culture, you're going to realize that Daniel's story is really not that much different than your story or my story. As we seek to live out our faith in Jesus, in a, in a culture and a world that is fallen and broken and spiritually dark. And there are just so many good lessons for us as believers in Jesus in the 21st century that, that occurred in Daniel's life over 2,500 years ago. I believe we're going to walk away transformed by God's truth because, you know, God's Word has that kind of power. God's Word can transform a person from the inside out. It's a living Word, right? It's inspired by Him. It has the divine breath in it. And so when we show up on a Sunday morning like this and we gather around God's Word and we open up our hearts, it's just amazing how his living word can, can speak to us in ways that we never thought about. And so that's been my prayer as we enter into this series that we're going to walk away after studying the book of Daniel together for a number of weeks here in 2023. We're going to walk away different, transformed, and better equipped to be the light in the darkness that God's called us to be. All right?
So there's a lot of great history in the book of Daniel. So let's take a look at this passage in its historical context. Uh, the Babylonians mentioned here in chapter 1, uh, they rose to world domination by defeating the Assyrians who were in charge before them. Now, the Assyrians had a reputation, the Assyrian Empire had a reputation of being ruthless and brutal. I mean, the Assyrians would take over a city or a nation, and they would just torture and kill everybody. Uh, that was their style. They were a brutal and ruthless people. Now, the Babylonians, on the other hand, had a different strategy for world domination. They were a little more subtle in their approach. Instead of just killing everyone like the you know, barbaric, primitive Assyrians, they would often take people, especially young people, out of their homeland, away from their families, and, and bring them, in the, in the case of the Jews, 900 miles away to the city of Babylon. They had the goal of converting these young guys to the Babylonian way of thinking the Babylonian way of life. That was Nebuchadnezzar's plan for Daniel and his three friends. And so they're ripped out of their homeland back in Jerusalem. They're brought 900 miles away to Babylon, and they're thrust into this kind of uh, educational next-generation training program. And the hope of King Nebuchadnezzar is that these guys are going to become so immersed in the culture that they're going to become proponents of the Babylonian culture. And so Babylon, unlike the Assyrians who just killed everybody, Babylon thought, hey, there's safety in numbers. Why, why, why would we kill all these people? Let's just bring them to our city. Let's retrain them, reprogram them, and then they can become proponents of our way of life, our values, and our beliefs. That was the goal. And um, history records that Babylon which um, is modern-day Iraq. Many of you have probably been there. Um, but in the ancient world, history records that Babylon was arguably the most impressive city of the ancient world. I mean, it was in, in Daniel's day, it was a beautiful, beautiful place. Very attractive to people who would visit there. It was a beautiful city on the water, you know, the Euphrates River ran around it. Actually, Babylonian engineers made it so the Euphrates River flowed through the city. And it flowed around it to kind of serve as a protective moat. It was a secure city. It was protected from its enemies. Walls around the city were 300 feet high and 80 feet thick. So security, that's, that's important to people, right? And especially in the ancient world, especially these people who just got conquered by Babylon, they stepped, they stepped one foot into Babylon, and they're like, man, there's no way this place could ever fall. This place is secure. It was the home of the famed hanging gardens. Perhaps you've heard of the Babylonian hanging gardens, which were one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. But that's what this city of Babylon was like. There was prosperity, there was pleasure, there was beauty, there was opportunity, there was entertainment, there was education. I mean, Babylon had everything. And the Babylonians were convinced that if you ever, all these people that they're taking as slaves and servants and bringing them to Babylon, they were convinced once you got a taste of Babylon, you'd never want to leave. It was that kind of place. 
their desire was to uh, seduce people into fitting in and becoming proponents of their culture. So, uh, think about little Daniel, okay, <laughs> 15 years old, and his three teenage friends. They're carted 900 miles away from their homeland, okay? They're, and Israel, really, in, in that time, was not, not much to look at. So they're kind of from the sticks. They're kind of hillbillies. They're bringing these guys all the way through the desert to Babylon, and they walk into the massive city gates, and they see the city, and they see the, uh, the river walk, and they see the palm trees, and they see the, uh, the prosperity and the pleasure and the opportunity and the wealth, and they see all these things. Again, they're teenage boys, and they had to be wondering, wow, you know, this isn't home, but maybe it's not such a bad place to live. I mean, there's so many things here. The hanging gardens, I mean, they, were, they had to be impressed because Daniel and his friends had never seen anything like Babylon before. And that was the goal of the Babylonians, to take Daniel and guys like him, people like him, to bring him to the city and to impress them and to seduce them into fitting in, forgetting about their families, forgetting about their prior nation, forgetting about their faith in the God they used to serve, just to engulf them in the culture of Babylon. That was the purpose of this program that Daniel and his friends had been thrust into. So the, Babylons had, the Babylonians had three, uh, a three-pronged strategy in which they would try to immerse people in their culture. And I want us to talk about it and highlight it because you're going to see, I, I'm convinced, you're going to see it when we walk through these things. It's not that much different than the strategy in our world today to get you to fit in, not stand out, but to fit in to the culture in which you live. It's not a new strategy. It's not original with the Babylonians. Listen, the evil one whom God has allowed to control this world to some degree, at least the culture of this world, the evil one will use this culture in any way he possibly can to get a Christian to be absorbed into it to blend in, to fit in, rather than stand out. And in, in very subtle ways, the evil one will do whatever he can to pull you away from the Lord. Listen, the forces in our culture are not working to help you grow in your faith. Okay, that's on you. That's on me. We must be very diligent and intentional to grow in our faith. We should not expect this fallen, broken, spiritually dark world to want to help us. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's wanting to pull us away. And this Babylonian strategy that Daniel encountered, it's the same strategy that you and I fight against each and every day of our Christian lives. Or at least we should be fighting against it. Because if you're not fighting against it, you're being conformed by it. And that's what we see happening in this culture in Babylon. So let's take a look. Um, here's what the Babylonians would try to do, would do to try to get people to conform to their image, okay? The first one is physical isolation. Physical isolation. In Daniel's case, he's taken from his home in Jerusalem 900 miles away. Now, 900 miles, that's a long way even in our time, but 900 miles in those days was unimaginable. It's like another planet, 
So Daniel and his friends are ripped away from their homeland and everything that was familiar to them. Uh, their families, uh, uh, their support system, um, the temple in Jerusalem where they would worship God, uh, their, their language, um, everything that they were familiar with growing up has been taken away from them. And the Babylonians reasoned that if we can get them isolated from all that stuff in their past, then we'll be better equipped to transform the way they think and get them to conform to our way of thinking, to reprogram them. So physical isolation was a big part of that. Um, it's not uh, a perfect comparison, but we might think of it in our context as a good kid from a Christian home, grows up in church, goes away to college, and drifts away from their faith. It's, it's, it's you know, we've talked about that before. It has uh, uh, long been noted. That, that happens a lot. That, those years between 18 and 24, and kids who grew up, Christian parents, okay, a church like this one, um, values, beliefs, you know, been taught the Word of God, went to all the programs, and then they go away, okay, whether it's college or some other place. They, they, they get away from all that, all that's familiar to them, and for the first time in their life, their faith is being tested. The authenticity of their faith. Was it their faith or was it their parents' faith? The authenticity of it is being tested. And uh, sometimes, you know, they drift away and they come back. Many times they drift away and they don't come back because it wasn't authentic. Time, tell, time will tell on those matters. But you see, that's what's happening to Daniel here. He's a teenager, pulled away from everything that was familiar to him, his values, his convictions, his family, all those things that he'd been taught and trained in, and he's, and he's isolated in Babylon. And that's what happens, you know, it's, you know, kids go away to college, it's the first time they've been separated from everything familiar, they've got freedom they never had before, okay? They've, they've got, uh, they don't have mom and dad breathing down their neck anymore saying, hey, get up and go to church, you know, come, we're going to church. They don't have that, you know, they're, they're making their own decisions on those matters, they've never had that kind of freedom before. They're exposed to uh, ideas and values they've never considered before. They've really thought through those things before, and they're exposed to those things. They are, unlike back home and in their church, they're surrounded by lots of people who do not share their convictions or their values. And that peer pressure is a, is a real thing to try to get them to conform to something different and to step away from those values and convictions that were a part of their childhood. And you see, what's happening is the authenticity of their faith is being tested. Sometimes that's, it's for the first time. And here we have Daniel, okay? Eight verses into the cha chapter one, we have Daniel facing a moment of truth, right? And he's got to decide, okay, am I going to stay true to God or am I going to bend to the culture? And, and we'll see, Daniel passes the test with flying colors. He makes a resolution. I want to stand for God. I want to trust God. I want to put my faith in God. I want to represent God. I want to follow his convictions and his truth and not be conformed to this culture, this Babylonian world in which I now live. 
Listen, you and I face the same kind of challenges. It's not just, uh, it's not just about kids going away to college, okay? And, you know, we talk about that, and some of you parents, some of you parents with young kids are like, that's why I'm never sending my kids away to college. I want to keep them at home the rest of their lives. Uh, well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. But that's not the way it works. That's not even biblical, by the way, okay? Um, that's not, that's not it's sooner or later, every young adult is exposed to Babylon, exposed to the world. You, you can't isolate them from that. But here's what you can do as a parent and as a grandparent and as a church. We can't isolate them, but we should insulate them with a strong Christian foundation. The earlier you get started, the more, the, the more chance it has to take effect in their life. A strong Christian foundation, teaching them and training them in God's truth, praying a lot for them. I mean, how do you think Daniel, at 15, was able to make a stand against the Babylonian culture, you know, right after he got there? He says, no, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to stand with the Lord and be true to my convictions. Somebody must have laid a foundation in his life. Maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, I don't know, but somebody somewhere, man, spoke God's truth into his life and cultivated that faith so that he was able to make a stand when that faith was tested. And that responsibility falls to all of us when it comes to the next generation. But again, it doesn't doesn't just apply to kids going away to college. You and I as followers of Jesus must be intentional to not allow ourselves to be isolated from God's word and God's church and God's people. So what Hebrews says, um, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but instead encourage one another. You see, you and I need the encouragement of the body of Christ, the church, because without it, the world will conform us to its mold. I often use the illustration in our uh, uh, membership class of a, a pile of hot coals. And you know, those of you who cook with charcoal know a pile of hot coals, when they're all together, will burn for a long time. You'll go to bed and they're still smoking the next morning. But you take one of those coals and isolate it from the group, it cools off pretty quickly. And the same kind of thing happens in our spiritual life. So it is imperative that you and I make it a priority in our lives to not let the world squeeze us into its mold. And one of the ways the devil wants to do that is by isolating you physically, keeping you away from the church, keeping you away from God's people, keeping you away from God's word. Um, I don't have to tell you, there are a million other things, a million other things you could be doing this morning than being right here, gathered around God's truth and learning how to grow in your faith. Um, there are so many things going on in our world today, and I'm not saying they're all evil or bad, but I am saying in a very subtle way, God uses the world system to pull us away from the things that will help us grow. The evil one uses that system to, to get us distracted and to keep us off balance and to prevent us from things like this, from gathering together in God's church and growing together as God's people, that, that physical isolation. And, um, you know, remember um, a couple years ago when we shut down, we had the COVID shutdown, we didn't meet for several weeks, and we had the online thing going. Um, I can tell you to a, 
man and woman, everybody who I talked to about it said, wow, I'm really thankful. We had the online option, you know, during, during COVID and it was, uh, it really met a need. I'm, I'm glad our church offers that. But to a man and woman, they all said to me, but online church is not church. Listen, the church in the New Testament, the very word has the idea of gathering together with people. And I'm thankful we can offer online for folks who cannot be here because of their circumstances. That's a great ministry. We're going to obviously continue to do it and hopefully make it better. But if you're able, online church is just not the same as being with people, God's people, um, to sharpen each other, to encourage each other, to counsel each other, just to be together. And the Babylonians, they understood that. So, hey, let's pull these guys all away from, physical isolate them, physically isolate them from everything familiar to them, and then we'll be able to retrain them in our image. And, um, and that's exactly what the evil one would like to do in the world system. Listen, listen we're so ex- immersed in our culture with the internet and social media. We're more, our culture is more immersive than ever before. And I'm not saying that's all bad or that's all evil. I, I'm just saying that if you're not careful and intentional as a Christian, you're going to find yourself being shaped into the world's mode, mold. And, and the wonderful thing about Daniel is that, you know, Daniel, he never made it back to Israel. He never made it back to Jerusalem. He came to Babylon at 15, lived there his entire life in this pagan, godless culture. But Daniel made a resolution that, hey, I may not have any control that I live in Babylon, but I will not let Babylon live in me, you see. And God is wanting you and I as Christ followers to make that same resolution. We may not be able to have much control over the culture in which we live, but we don't have to let that culture live in us. But being physically isolated makes us a slow-moving target for conformity. It wasn't just that, though. Mental, it wasn't just physical isolation, it was also mental indoctrination. Did you see that in verse 3? Um, it says, teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Um, it was through language and literature and education that they sought to capture the hearts and the minds of the next generation. Um, now, listen, all of us understand that education can be used for good in people's lives and can be definitely be used for good in the world. But as God's people, you and I need to be very discerning about the kind of education that is to be used for good in the world and the kind of education based on falsehood that is just intended for indoctrination of young people. Parents and grandparents have to be more discerning than ever in our fallen, broken world. You see, that was the agenda of the, the pagan Babylonian culture because, you know, you know, these people, these Babylonians, they didn't know God. They, they, didn't, they didn't have a relationship with the one true God. They didn't have God's truth. They didn't have God's word. They had no moral anchor. They had no compass. They had no foundation when it came to truth. So what did they do? Well, they would just teach people things that would advance their agenda. That was the, that was the strategy. That's all they did. In, in some ways, they didn't know any better. They didn't have God's truth. So they didn't base their teaching on truth, inspiration. 
they based it on what can we teach these guys that will further our agenda. And so, you know, we often talk about, hey, get a good education. Well, yeah, I agree, but just understand there's some reality to being a bad education too, right? It's not all good if it's just for the purpose of indoctrinating people to believe what some falsehood that someone else believes. You know, Babylon was not unlike Nazi Germany. Have you read about that Hitler's youth movement of the 1930s? in which millions of children and teenagers in Germany were indoctrinated with rewritten history and distorted and twisted biology about a superior race. Thousands of teachers in Germany bought into the propaganda and trained a whole generation of, of indoctrinated, a whole generation with those falsehoods. But we don't live in Babylon, and we don't live in Nazi Germany. Uh, We live in America, and I'm thankful for that. But wouldn't you say more than ever that we're starting to see signs in our culture of education being used for indoctrination uh, rather than just to teach, you know, basic truths that will bless people and benefit mankind? We're we're seeing more and more of these examples of our educational system being used to indoctrinate kids with falsehoods, whether it's the theory of evolution being taught as if it were fact or hard science to the more recent confusion over the transgender debate. I mean, just, you just see one thing after another, these examples, it's Babylon. It's the Babylonian strategy, it's nothing new. How can we, you know, indoctrinate these people to to support and live our way of life? And we must all sift through that Babylonian mindset. More imperative than ever for parents, and man, so many of you parents are engaged, and I am so thankful for that. More imperative than ever that you help your family and your children sift through the Babylonian mindset and evaluate it in light of a biblical mindset. And our church is committed to helping you and partnering with you in any way that we can. Because, listen, we live in the world. We don't want the world to live in us. We, we live for a higher king than Nebuchadnezzar or any other king. We, we are committed to our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want our lives to be aligned with him. You know, Daniel, he was a believer in God. You know, he wanted to be faithful and true to God, uh, even in a godless pagan culture like Babylon. So there's physical isolation, mental indoctrination, and then we see identity alteration. You see in verse uh, 7, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. These were four Jewish young men with great, strong Hebrew names that represented their faith in God and their family's desire for them to be followers of God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah means the Lord helps. And so they get over to Babylon and the Babylonians say, no, we don't want you to identify with that anymore. We're going to give you new names. 
And so they're stripped of their old Hebrew, God-honoring, God-fearing names, and they're all given new names which represent the false gods of Babylon. Each one of them. But even with that, Daniel never lost sight of his identity in the Lord. Daniel was like, hey, you can take me out of my country. You can teach me a new language. You can take me away from my family. You can indoctrinate me with all your lies. You can even change my name. But I am resolved to find my identity in my God. And I will live for him. And I will honor him. And I will not compromise. I won't just seek to fit in. I'm willing to stand out. And you know, that's the calling upon every Christian's life. It always has been. From the time of Christ. To stand out for him as a witness, as a light in the darkness. But it's always been a temptation for God's people to blend in. Now this strategy of identity alteration, again, are we not seeing that Babylonian strategy at work in our culture today? Our children and grandchildren are being confused and tormented by the lies and destructive messages of our culture when it comes to gender identity. So hard to watch. This should make us sick as God's people. To hear that message going out, that, hey, so God made you a male? So God made you a female? Who is God to decide? You get to decide. You identify as however you want to identify. God can't define that for you. And kids are confused and... Families are destroyed, and it just should break each and every one of our hearts. But it's not only sexual identity. Listen, the pressure of our culture is to find our identity in anything other than Jesus. The devil doesn't care where you find your identity, as long as it's not in Jesus. You can find it in a hobby, a career, another person, a rank, pleasure, wealth, the evil one could care less where you find your identity as long as you don't find your identity in the Lord. Because he knows that sooner or later, if you're not finding your identity in Jesus, whatever you are finding your identity in is going to fail you. And then you'll find yourself in an identity crisis. And that's where he wants you. You see, those things in which we try to find our identity other than the Lord, uh, those are false gods. There's no real power in them. Eventually, they all let us down and, and fail us. God wants you and I to find our identity in who he says we are. Now, we sing that song here at Liberty sometimes. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who, I, who, who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And listen, that was Daniel's motto. Daniel said, hey, you've, you've taken me away from all these things, but you are not going to take away who I am in God. My faith is my foundation. None of that caused Daniel to compromise. We'll take a look at that resolution one last time. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. This won't be the last time we see Daniel's courage on display, but it's the first time. 
It's the first time, perhaps, that his faith was tested. And his stand starts with a resolution. I may be living in Babylon, but I'm not going to let Babylon live in me. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ, God is calling you to make that resolution. I may live in this sinful, godless culture, but I am not going to allow this sinful, godless culture live in me. And what we're going to find in the book of Daniel, and Daniel wasn't perfect. I mean, he had his struggles, absolutely, like anybody else does. But as a young man, he made this resolution. He spends the rest of his life in Babylon and chapter after chapter, experience after experience, all the way until he was an old man, he does his absolute level best to follow through on his resolution to not defile himself. And he died serving God, putting God first, and being a light in his dark world. You know, that's what God's called you to do. That's what God's called me to do. That's what God's called our church to be, a light in this dark world. And a church that's a light in this dark world is a church comprised of people who've chosen not to conform to the world, who are willing to not fit in, but to stand out and to represent Jesus and to stand true and not compromise their convictions. I hope you'll make that resolution in 2023.